How you guys doing? Good to see you guys. What's up, young peoples? I get to say that. I get to say young peoples. Wow, this is a small pulpit. This is for small people. Yeah, I might need like something else. Because I have like the, the Al Pittman kind of Bible. Remember what he mentioned the other day? It's like a size 80 font. This is okay though, because I can see and communicate to you guys. Okay, let me start over. How you guys doing tonight? It's so good to see all your smiling faces. I have this habit uh, from being a former youth pastor to always refer in particular to your age range. I call you guys young people. So you're still young people because I'm older than you. So because when I was a youth pastor, your age range were the youth that were in the group. So kind of cool. How many of you guys went to like a youth ministry a few years ago? Like when you, okay, only a few of you guys? Okay, wow, that's good. So how many of you guys are never went to a youth ministry? Raise your hand, okay? Okay, cool. How many of you guys like don't even know the Lord? <laughs> so that, that, that might be the case too. But either way, um, I'm so glad to have this awesome opportunity just to share with you all. Um, gosh, your age range has always been dear to my heart. And uh, I, I, I'm very thankful for the opportunity that uh, Ms. Kina, uh, Tina and, and Kevin and the, and the leadership team here has uh, allowed me. Um, I, I get to share the word of God. I love, it's one of the things I love to do. So uh, they said, basically, we're in Psalms. Pick a psalm. And, you know, as, as one of the administrative pastors here, you know, I'm, I'm, I got a lot of things to do. I'm like, okay, I'll just pick one of the psalms that I have. So I went to my database. I said, oh, Psalm 84, I already got that. So that's cool. Not a problem. And Tina says, except Psalm 84. Because we already did that one. And, okay, well, I'll do Psalm 23. And they're like, well, we did that one too. I'm like, okay. So there's 150 of them. So I just kind of flipped open the Bible like, like Bible roulette. And bam, this is what you get. Psalm 32, boom. That's what we're going to go through tonight. Amen? So let me tell you, as I started preparing this and looking at the text, I was like, ooh, ooh, there's some things that need to be mentioned tonight. Because I believe some of my young brothers and sisters may be going through something in their own heart. Again, I don't know where you guys are at personally, but I know that if you believe in Jesus Christ that you struggle with sin. Because we all struggle with sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we all fall short of the glory of God. But, but interestingly enough, hopefully you're in the right condition right now, but when we stumble, do you know what that feels like? That's like a horrible position, right? I, I hate that. It is the worst. It literally sucks the joy right out of me. And so when I came to this psalm, I was like, oh, oh we got to go through this. Because what David mentions is, first off, something or, or a state in which we should always be. But then he also talks about a problem and how we get to falling short and how it feels. So hopefully we can be ministered to. So I want to start by saying this right now, tonight. Do you ever feel dry? Dry? Like, ah. Do you ever wonder what happened to that wonderful, overflowing Holy Spirit in my life? I feel like parched 
David says in Psalm 63, uh, in a dry and weary land where there's no water. You know how when you're really thirsty? Do you ever feel like that? Like, man, I haven't had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in a long time. Unfortunately, some of us are like, I, I, I didn't even know it was such a, a feeling or an experience with the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's biblical. So hopefully, the Holy Spirit will minister to you tonight. But let's talk a little bit of, about why you may be feeling that. Is it possible that an unconfessed sin is in your life tonight? And that very thing is causing you to feel like the drought of summer? Parched? Overheated? Dried up? Well, if that's the case, I believe that the Lord desires to refresh you. Are you ready to receive a refreshing, a reminder of God's word? Can I get a couple claps there? Just to know why they're, you're there, you're there, amen. I want to talk about the joy of forgiveness. So, Psalm 32 is what I chose, but there's a counterpart. There's another uh, psalm that David wrote that really describes this experience that he went through, and that is in Psalm 51. And so these psalms were written, to give you a little bit of background, a little context, they were written in the aftermath of David's sin with Bathsheba. You guys know the story? No? Some of you guys? Okay. Um, it also deals with the subsequent murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He was murdered by David, as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so... In these two psalms, David uses the painful events of his own life to reveal his trouble with sin, the need for confession, and again, the joy of forgiveness. That whole experience is so important. So within this context or this account, I, as I studied it, I found seven points of view from David to help us, young people, comprehend the importance of remaining in a right relationship with God. That is where the refreshing comes in. That is when that awesome relationship and the joy overflows. And people look at you like, what's up with you, man? It's the joy of the Lord. Do you have it? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. And Lord, we thank you for this awesome worship. Lord, for the awesome gathering of these young people who come to hear from you. Lord, we pray for divine instruction. Lord, we pray for divine conviction. Lord, we ask that you would help us to correct anything that may not be pleasing to you. Father, if there's any barriers tonight, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would break those down and give that refreshing, that renewal in the Holy Spirit we pray this to your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Loudly, together we all say, Amen. Amen. All right. Let's check this out um, as we go through this. The seven points that I have here, I'll just tell them to you real quick and then I'll read the text. They are position, affliction, confession, liberation, instruction. Let me go through my notes here. Uh, retribution and jubilation. I might have missed one, but they're all there either way. And so let me read the text. Look at what happens. It says in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Wow. Now, as we go through this idea of position, I want to say as David starts off this idea of position, this is where you want to be, okay? Let me call this the blessed state. Say that with me. The blessed state, okay? Now, before I go on, if, if maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your, in your life right now, you're like, oh, man, he's just like nailing me already. You know what? You can always just say a quick prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, would you just forgive me of that thing right now? Or maybe at the end of this service, there's some real soul searching that you need to do, and you need to come down and pray with one of the, the leadership team here or myself and, and, and just get right with the Lord. So that you can have that joy of forgiveness and be exuberant in your praise and be glad. Amen. And so the blessed state, that's where we want to be. So to understand exactly what this means, we need to first clarify some terms, okay, uh, that David uses. So he uses the word transgression. What is transgression? It is a knowledgeable act of rebellion. Something that you know you shouldn't do and you purposely do it. You cross the line, right? It's like, uh, you know, it's interesting how little babies, kids, toddlers, you know, you don't have to tell them, uh, you know, uh, not to do it. They're going to do it anyways. You say, you have to teach them no, right? You say, no, and they're going to they're gonna look at you like, don't touch. They're going to go, you, you know, you, they, they, they do it because it's in them. It's sinful nature, right? So when we're a little bit older, we transgress when we deliberately cross the line. There's something I know I shouldn't do. It's sin before the Lord, and I do it anyways. I'll just deal with the consequent later because, you know what, she is fine. You know what I'm saying? Or that dude, he's like, oh, man, he's like a handsome guy. Or maybe that, you know, that, that, that thing, that getaway thing, that maybe that drink or that toke or whatever it is. Maybe it's that money that nobody knows about. And yet... We don't see it as a problem, but you know what? I can get away with this, so we cross the line. That is transgression, that is sin, okay? The other definition there, he says, is sin. What is sin? Sin is not living up to the standard of righteousness that God has set. Boom. God has a righteous standard. In the Greek, even though we're in the Hebrew here, but Greek has a reference of missing the mark. You know, if you have an archery uh, target and you go to shoot the bow, you're way out there, well, you missed the mark. And that means you're a sinner, okay? So that's the idea there. So he says here, transgression is forgiven, sin is covered. Keep it in mind, the next one is iniquity. What is iniquity? Literally, this is interesting. It means twisted. Twisted? Yeah, the iniquity, that's what happens. This word communicates what happens to the inner character of those who practice sin on a regular basis. You know what that is? It means that you're deranged. In your mind, you're not thinking clearly. You're debased. Actually, I just put downright psycho, man. You know, you're like, psycho, stay away from that person. They're psycho. <laughs> they like to do psycho things. And then another term, as mentioned here at the end of verse 2, is deceit. Or should I say guile. The practice of deception. What is that? Well, let's use David's example. David tried to cover his sin with Bathsheba, pretending that nothing happened. 
he went out one day, and he, he should have been at war, but he's, I'm just going to hang out. He's about 50 years old, something like that. And uh, I've been to Israel, the city of David, and I looked at the house house. I'm like, man, that was probably Bathsheba's house right there. And I was like, wow, that's it. So he was looking at the rooftop, and he saw this beautiful lady bathing naked. So he should have went like, oh, you know. But he probably went like, dude, I need to make binoculars, you know. <laughs> you know, because we don't have those yet. So he inquired. So that was the thing. So right there, he knew. And then he took other steps. And he inquired. And when he inquired of her, they said, is this not Uriah's wife? He's like, yeah, go get and get her anyway. So he kept pursuing it. Eventually, they were with each other. Eventually, they conceived in sin. And David tried to hide the sin. How? Call her awesome husband, valiant man of faith, who's at the front of the battle. Bring him home so he could hang out with his wife to try to cover the sin of pregnancy in that sense. And so it's powerful because he's trying to hide it. So that's the whole idea. If you don't know the story, let me just say real quick. Uriah says, no way. How can I go in and lie with my wife when all my men are on the front line fighting the Lord's battles? And he slept on the curb. That is a man of God right there. David's like, oh, come on, dude. Just go, you know, do the natural thing. And he did it. He, he did the second night. He said, hey, come on, let's drink. He tried to get him drunk. He said, no, go home. Nope, he still fell asleep on the curb. David got mad. You know what he did? He wrote a letter. He says, go take this back to the commanding officer. Job reads it. There's a town. And he says, put Uriah in the hottest battle on the front of the lines. And you know what happens? Boom, he dies. Serving the Lord. Wow. So in a sense, David murdered Uriah to cover his sin with Bathsheba, right? Wow. For a year almost, he covered that sin. And so, to say I have no sin, that is guile, that is deception. I'm okay. You know what? I believe all the house of David and the Israelites around him, they said, David was like, what is he doing? He's our leader and he's deceitful. A leader should not be one of deceit or guile. And I pray that all the time, Lord, remove guile and deceit from my heart to lead the people here at Calvary Worship Center. Because when you have that gunk, that falsehood in your heart, you do nobody any good. It's fake. I used to use that in the youth ministry. It just came to me right now. Fake. Let's use that as an acronym. F-A-K-E. False appearances kill everybody. Fake. That's what happens when you're fake. You should not be that way. Your position should be that of joy. Because you're in the Lord. And as he goes on to say in verse 1, blessed are those whose transgression, deliberately crossing over, it says, is forgiven. To forgive means to remove a burden or cancel a debt against someone. It is pictured by the scapegoat in the Day of Atonement service where the goats, in Israel days, they would, uh, it would carry the sins of the people. They would lay their hands on it, and they would send this goat off. It would go into the wilderness. Leviticus 16, 20 through 22. Psalm 103, verse 12. But interestingly enough, I love it. The fulfillment of the anti-type, the scapegoat himself. Jesus Christ in John 1, 29. Check it out on the screen. 
John the Baptist saw Jesus coming at him and he said this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know that Jesus Christ came into this world to bear your sin and to remove it so that you can have the joy of forgiveness? You know what I'm saying? Man, this is awesome stuff, you guys. Why aren't we excited about it? Is there something hidden in our lives? I don't know. So he goes on to say uh, in verse 1, the second part of it, sin is covered. Sin is covered. When something is covered, it's hidden from view, right? That's what God does for us. He puts our sin out of his sight. He no longer sees it. He bears it in the deepest ocean, I've heard it said. It's cast from the east to the west. You can't see it. It's like that spot behind your neck that you can never see. It's like right there. You know, where's, where is it? Where is it? Whoa, whoa. It's there somewhere. He also says in verse 2, the Lord does not impute iniquity. To impute uh, is a bookkeeping term that means to put on the account, to add to the record, right? In this case, strike the record. Pretty cool. But, but whose record is stricken? In particular, he says at the end of verse 2, and this is a condition right here. He says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. There is no guile, right? You know, you might be saying, Pastor Mark, is it even possible to be in that state without guile? I mean, gosh, I don't even know myself sometimes. You know, I can deceive myself. Our heart is that wicked. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 said, it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? But I, the Lord, I test the heart, I test the mind. You see, God knows. So if you already know that you have that sinful state, that's a good thing. But you don't have to walk in that. You can walk in the joy of forgiveness. You can walk with covered sin. You can walk without deceit and a pure spirit. Do you believe that's possible? Say yes, please. This without deceit is the condition of acquittal. If there is deceit, you will not be acquitted. That's simple. Guile can never be practiced before God. Because he sees everything. You can't fool God. We look around. Mm, mm, mm. We turn off the lights. Mm, mm. I think nobody's there. Well, for, you forget. Uh, he sees everything. Everything. He knows what you're thinking. So how can you hide it? Why don't you just fess up, man? Fess up now. You're like, I had a thought. Okay, well, fess it up. And maybe you might have a good day. You woke up in the morning. It's like three minutes into the day. Lord, I have not sinned today. Well, you just lied. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> no. You will sin at some point. But I, I want to encourage you. Just say, Lord, keep me from sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to offend you. And I've learned that when I've sinned in the past and that joy is ripped off, I don't want to sin or do habitual sin anymore. Because it robs me of my joy, of my relationship with my heavenly father who absolutely loves me. Why would I want to leave that? For some girl? For some guy? For some job? For some way of prosperity? Foolishness. Foolishness. And so what is the closing application here? I'm never going to finish on time, but this is good. Let's keep going. This is the blessed state. This is it. Here, David provides the blessed state 
the position that we need to remain in always as born-again Christians. As he says in verse 11, he says, look at verse 11. If we trust in the Lord, verse 11, he said, we should be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. And you should shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the place we should stay. So he starts with this position, and at the end, he talks of jubilation. But sandwiched in between is, ugh, affliction. Affliction? Yeah. Look at the next verses, three and four. It says, that's the great state, but when I kept silent, my bones grew old through groaning all the day long. For day and night, your God's hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my life, was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. Wow. Affliction here. Groaning, if you would. David provides a vivid description of the weight of unconfessed sin. Oh, yeah, you can feel it, man. For almost a year, he did not make this confession, as I briefly mentioned already. In verse 3, we see affliction results from keeping silent. Here, David teaches that unconfessed sin not only makes you feel old in your bones, like deep in your bones, but it makes you miserable. Miserable. Do you guys like to be miserable? I don't want to be miserable. Physically and emotional, I'm sorry, physical and emotional stress. I don't want this in my life. Your body was not designed for it. But because sin entered into the world and when we partake of sin, it's an offense to God. So affliction comes. Affliction, in verse 4, affliction results from chastisement. What do you mean? Yeah. Well, verse 4, it refers to the Lord chastening David, chastening, making him miserable to the point of his confession. God loves you so much that he won't let you get away with your sin. God, you probably heard it said before, cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness, right? But, but Lord, I just want to feel good all the time. You guys, my sins, the sins of my youth... Um, were pretty much that. I served the God of pleasure. Anything that was fun, I'd do it. Anything that felt good, no consequence, whatever. And I thought there was no consequence until little by little, when I thought I was getting away with it, it just started getting worse and darker and it just ugly. Up to the point where I sinned against my own conscience. The things that I said I would never do, I end up doing. You know what I'm talking about? And I know that, I know, I don't even know you. And yet, I know that you've struggled with that. Why? Because it's sin. And it's attractive. Satan is so tricky in the way he designs you to stumble. It's like a fishing lure that he, he crafts in a special way to your own desires and your propensities. And you're like, oh, that is such a dainty little treat. I just want to bite right into it. Mm. And you thought it was good. But you didn't realize when he pulls up on that, whoom, you've been hooked. And you've stumbled. And you've offended God and many others. Because sin offends many. So, he was miserable. In fact, since we're close, turn to Psalm 38, verses 1 through 11 talks about this. But in particular, in chapter 39, look at verse 
10 and 11. Psalm 30, 39, verses 10 and 11. Let me get there myself. Psalm 30. Okay, so here it is. Look at what David says. He says, remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand when the rebukes, when with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. David's feeling horrible. He realizes that his life is nothing because of the state that he's in. So then the Lord brings about chastening because he loves us. Check this out. What exactly is chastening? Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11. You don't have to go there, but for reference sake, it teaches us that chastening isn't a judge punishing a criminal. Okay? In fact, it's a loving father dealing with disobedient children to bring them to surrender to know his love. That's why God chastises us. In fact, he says if you're without chastisement, Maybe you're illegitimate. Maybe you're not a son or daughter of God. Ooh. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. Try me. Know my anxieties. And so he goes on to say in, in verse 4 there, uh, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. What does that describe? Again, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. It, it's a horrible feeling. Uh, it's, it's a heavy hand. I, I wrote here in my notes. The sack of guilt weighs heavy. It's like a burden you're carrying around with you everywhere you go. You might get all pretty and dainty and looking all good and stuff, but you know, you might not see it, but you feel it. It's like the sack, this burden, like, man, I'm a sinner, you know? And people go, oh, you look so nice today. Yeah, yeah, but really, I'm a sinner. I have this burden. And the people who know you close know when you're on with the Lord and when you're not. I hope you guys are close enough that you know that about you. Interesting. I have heard it said this. Guilt is to the conscience what pain is to the body. Ooh, heavy, man. I found this. An article written by the BBC entitled Guilt, Bad for Your Health, reports the results of a study that indicates that people who felt guilty had lower levels of immunoglobulin A. High levels of immunoglobulin A are associated with strong immune systems and the ability to fight off illnesses, right? The researchers' previous study showed that people with low levels of guilt were less likely to go to the doctor or to report suffering from colds or flu. Now, one word when I read something like that, I go, interesting, interesting, how sin affects you physiologically. Isn't that crazy? No? You guys aren't fascinated with that? I, I was. Maybe because I'm an old guy and you guys are young. Maybe that's what it is. But being an old guy, I can respect that. I don't want to get a, I don't want to get the cold. I don't want to get the flu or whatever. I want to walk in righteousness. And God does protect you. I believe he does. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get sick. Don't get me wrong. Send letters to Pastor Al. Pastor Mark's a heretic. And sing all these things, whatever. Let me close this point out. The application here. The physical effects of impenitence 
made David feel as if he was living in the drought of summer. Instead of feeling fresh and full of vigor, he was a dried up, I was going to say prune, but okay, a waterless plant, you know, no life in it. A prune sounds funnier, actually. You're a prune, dude, you're insane. Okay. Uh, so, then David says something right after that. He says, after thinking about my vitality was turned into the drought of summer, the hand of the Lord was on me heavy. He says, Selah. And I'll just say this, because he says it three times in the psalm. He says, pause, stop, contemplate, think about that for a moment. So now you guys will go, hmm, interesting. It also could be a mu musical break where... Uh, Whatever the musician was, they would start jamming and think about it or go into it and you meditate it on that. So this is a contemplative psalm. It makes you think, yeah, sin. We don't, we don't want sin in our lives. So, Selah, stop and think about that. I don't want the heaviness anymore, right? Let's move on then. Let's move on to confession. Confession, verse 5 says this. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. <clears throat> and then the word, say it with me, Selah. Stop and think about that. <laughs> I love that. And so, confession is acknowledgement. David was confronted by Nathan the prophet that made him confess. He gave him this whole story, and for time's sake, I cannot go there. I'm sorry, but he called him out. And when he called him out, he's like, you're right, I am in sin. And this is why I feel so stinking horrible. I'm tired of this, this sack of sin on me, the guilt, sack of guilt. So confession is needed. He no longer could hide his sin. He identified at this point his transgression. He pointed out what it was. And verbally confess it to the, Lord, to the Lord. I say verbally. Don't just say like in your mind, Lord. You know, I'm thinking out loud. Um, um, Lord, just forgive me that thing in my mind. Say it. Lord, I looked at pornography. Lord, I was with my girlfriend sexually. Lord, I stole money from my company. Confess whatever it is. And Lord, I know this is offense you. Will you forgive me? Just say those words with me real quick. Will you forgive me? The Lord's all over that. If it's sincere. Well, I said it because Pastor Mark said for me to say it. Well, then it doesn't count. It's got to be from you in your heart. Genuine, real, sincere. Sincere. How important that is. And so... David could not hide this sin. In fact, he even wrote the psalm to say, hey, I'm writing about it because I want this out of my life, which is a good practice in journals and stuff maybe. Confession, he needed forgiveness. He knew that in the second part of verse 5. Look at what <clears throat> his son Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13. So David would have shared this with his son, and, and, and this is what Solomon writes in Proverbs 28, 13. It's on the screen. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. How many of you guys need mercy tonight? Okay. Whoo. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Let me close this thought out. Application. How do you respond when somebody calls you out on a sin? A Nathan comes into your life and says, hey, 
I noticed this. You're like, speak to the hand, bro. Give me my space. Is that, is that how you are? Give me my space. I'm sorry, dude. Out, out, uh-uh. How dare you? How dare you? What about you? You know? That's how we get, huh? Defensive. Or do we respond in humility? Oh, dude, I didn't know. I'm glad you noticed, man. I, I can't get rid of it. Will you pray with me? That's a good place to be. That is a place of, of um, not guile and deceit, but brokenness. Brokenness. Actually, I think it's in Psalm 34 um, uh, where he mentions the need for that. Well, I don't want to go there for, for time's sake. But anyways, brokenness. So, I say, how do you respond when somebody calls you, you out on a sin? Or then I wrote, do we hide it so well that nobody sees it? And you're just like, David, oh, I could go like, man, I'm nine months into it, and nobody knows. And you probably feel horrible inside. Or you put a lot of makeup on, <laughs> or a lot of clothes. You know what I'm saying? You, you hide it by being busy. There's so many ways to mask your sin. But the Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. Have you heard that verse? Your sin will find you out. And if it doesn't in this world ever get exposed, it will in the end. Okay, you're going kind of deep now, Pastor Mark. Why are you convicting me? Did you talk to my mom? Did she tell you that I was coming tonight? If we say that we truly love God, then we should seek to remain in a right relationship with Him. This only comes through the priority of confession. I'm probably going to have to end right here because it's 801. But we're going to end on an awesome verse. Okay? Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. All the way towards the end of your Bible. Let's hear those pages flip, man. 1 John chapter 1. This speaks of that blessed relationship with the Lord. This is where we should be, young people. Okay. In 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 5. John, the apostle John, the, uh, he writes to the little children. He's an old guy at this time. How appropriate. And he's saying, my little children. He, that's how he speaks to them. But verse 5, he says, this is the message which we, the apostles, have heard from him, Jesus, and we declare to you. Here it is. Here it is. You want to hear the message? That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That is powerful. That's a truth that should really change our lives. God is light. If God is light, I want to be light because I want to be with God. Look at what he goes on to say. Okay, that's a great declaration. Verse 6. If we say, mm, a claim, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. Wow. Let me go on, though. There's hope. But if, circle that word if. I love this, this passage. If is a word of condition. If you do or if you don't. Say that with me. If you do or if you don't. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. 
then we have fellowship with one another. So the cool thing is, if you're a born-again believer, and you're walking in the light, and I'm over here as your brother or sister in Christ, and I'm walking in the light, I'm like, hey, what's up? We fellowship with one another. But it's interesting how when a brother or sister can be in sin, how their spirit changes. Man, they woke up on the wrong side of the day, you know? Do you let them affect you and you start ragging on them? Or do you start praying for them? Because your light can help expose the darkness and bring them to the point of repentance and you're now in right relationship again. Amen? Amen. This is what marriage is all about. Hallelujah. I always I like to say this. It's like, it's like when people get attracted to each other at first, you got to have God first this way and then your relationship's this way. But the problem is everybody says, oh man, but they're so cute or they're so handsome, whatever. So they're attracted to each other and they connect. Oh yeah. But because they don't have God this way, uh-oh, eventually it becomes this way. You start fighting. Arguments. And like, you know what? Just get out of my face, woman. You know? That's <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, I'm from LA. Come on. Okay. <laughs> Let us close, Lord. No. So you get the point. Having right relationship has to be first spiritual with God, and that's what helps you to have good social relationships. It's actually in the Ten Commandments. The first four are towards God, relationship to God, and the last six are social, in relationship to mankind. But the ultimate essence of it all is what? What is the greatest command? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. To love the Lord God with all your heart, all your corazón, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. If you love God and walk with him and you abide in him, then you're going to have fellowship with him. And then you're going to have fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Awesome. Let me finish the passage. He says in verse 7 again, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some of our sins. What does all mean? All means what? What does it mean in the Greek? What does it all mean? All means all. It's, it's Greek. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's all it is. It's Greek, different language. How about in Spanish? What does all mean? Todo. Yeah, oh, yeah, con todo. Yeah, it's all. So look at verse 8 again. He goes back. He bounces back and forth to challenge our hearts. If we say that we have no sin, we, oh, there's that word. We deceive ourselves. You don't need nobody else to deceive you. You're good at doing it yourself. Which shows that you're a sinner. Wow. We deceive ourselves and the truth might be in us. No, it is not in us. Lastly, let's get rid of this. And we'll finish on this. Verse 9. But if, conditional words, circle it in your Bible. If we do or if we don't. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus.